The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. David Nerj and Kasper Tengshet jump from the bench and deliver three points late. Rafa keeping his good form going while a goalkeeping controversy threatens to split this team into factions. Transfer rumors are swirling. Fans are taking sides. Is Roger losing this locker room or is it just more yellow journalism from the Portuguese media? We're going to talk about all that and more today on episode 168 of Mr. Benfica starting right now. Let's go! What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 168 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinho here with you this week on a Thursday night as I continue to fail to try to put this podcast out um, on a consistent night of the week. It, it, right now, I'm, I'm putting it out when I can. I do apologize about that. But here we are to talk about round two, Benfica bouncing back after their round one defeat, winning 2-0 at home to Estrela da Madura. And um, an eventful day, no doubt, as uh, controversy just seems to be swarming around the club right now. And it definitely looks like a lot of this is being fabricated. It looks like a lot of this is... Either someone inside the club leaking to the press or the press making conclusions of their own. And um, whether it's talking about players wanting to leave, whether it's talking about players being for sale, whether it's talking about a manager losing control of his locker room. um, We're hearing reports, of course, of a shouting match between Roger Schmidt and and Odie regarding um, Odie being benched in this match. The truth is we don't really know anything that's absolutely true because, well, we'll hear from Roger in a little while and he's not going to elaborate on it. He, he explained that he wanted fresh, uh, he wanted freshness in the goalkeeper position or he wanted a, a fresh goalkeeper after Monday's match. And 
Apparently, ODE took exception to that. However, I find it very, very interesting. I find it very, very interesting how this is leaked. Okay, words are exact conversations are leaked, are not printed. Okay. And I'm wondering now, I, I'm willing to bet anything if this argument did happen between these two, if this blow up really happened. In all likelihood, it would have happened in German. Who speaks German in that team room other than these two and, and the rest of the coaching staff? Who can report this, you know, to the media? Because I guarantee you they weren't they weren't shouting in Portuguese, and I'm pretty sure they wouldn't do it in English as well, because both of their first languages is German. Yes, Odi is a goalkeeper for Greece. But he was born and raised in Germany. Okay, the way I was born and raised in the United States, even though, you know, my parents are Portuguese. And I do speak Portuguese. If I'm going to argue with an American, it's going to be in English. Even if I'm in a country, say I'm in Mexico, and everyone's speaking Spanish, I'm not going to argue with another native English speaker in anything but English, the same way that I'm pretty sure this would have happened in German. So it's very interesting as to uh, who would know exactly what was said, okay? Um, so the truth is we don't exactly know, okay? We had these reports, and then a few days later, it sounds like Odie's staying. Now, that could mean one of a couple of things. And uh, I guess I want to get this out of the way in, uh, in the beginning. Okay, I want to get this out of the way in the beginning. When I heard... That and and I'm in a I've said before on on Twitter on the X I, I have a text I have a DM group with a couple of you a couple of you listeners and a couple of other podcasters and I have a couple of groups and and in one of them it was alerted that uh, someone had put that Odie was not starting and and Samu was starting and of course I talked last week that Roger had a big decision to make I I. Thought he was gonna he was gonna stick with Odie to be for for all of the reason everything that has come out since he didn't is exactly what I thought he was gonna avoid. Okay, I thought that the well calculated choice was gonna be to to avoid it. However, on the flip side, putting him out there in the Stade de Luge after last Monday, you could be setting him up to get absolutely abused by his own fans, especially if another mistake were to happen. So. I had said that he had a big decision to make, and there were going to be repercussions either way. The, the, Roger was in a no-win situation here. Okay, if he sticks with Odie, uh, you know, a large portion of the fan base blows up, and and guess what? He didn't stick with Odie, and the other half of the fan base is blowing up, and I and people are calling for his job over this, which I think is absolutely ridiculous, saying he can't manage a team, a, a first-class team, with options, which is ridiculous. Okay, it's it's absolutely just has no basis has no basis other than people's opinion of what they see not what they know because they don't know none of us really know okay all you have is what you see and what you read okay and again the portuguese press thrives in yellow journalism in sensationalism and they are running with this i mean this is a baton they're taking and they are running they are running as fast as they can with anything around our club anything to destabilize our club not because it's necessarily a malicious attempt to destabilize the club, although there are journal journalists in the media that do do that because they are kind of operatives for some of the other clubs. But it's more because they're selling 
they're selling papers and they're selling clicks. You know, they want clicks, they want retweets, they want engagement, and they want, you know, in Portugal they still care about, uh, you know, printed newspapers selling off the newsstand. They want to be on television. They want to have it announced that they broke news. Every aspiring yellow journalist wants to be the one to break the news. So the lineup comes out. And, uh, well, let's hear from Roger. Okay, Roger, I'm going to skip ahead to the second part of the post-game press conference because he was asked this directly. He was asked about about both uh, Odie not starting and about Restitch not starting. So let's get that out of the way, and let's hear from Roger Schmidt right off the bat this week. Hi, Roger. Uh, Hi. Paiva, TV and in Portugal. Uh, I'm going to be uh, straightforward and ask, ask you uh, what happened with uh, Vlaco Dimos and uh, why did uh, Samuel Soares start and not, uh, if not Vlaco Dimos, Drubin? Yeah, for me, after Monday, uh, for me, um, it was clear that I want to have fresh energy on this position. Also, to we have now three, goal, three very good goalkeepers. Um, and um, in my opinion, the performance was not top on Monday. And that's why I decided to bring uh, fresh energy on this position and to, to also to push a little bit the concurrence on this position. In uh, my opinion, already Samuel uh, did it very well in preseason, so he was very close. And um, then I decided to give him the chance to to play, um, because, uh, like I said before, and um, Tobin was on the bench, um, and I'm I'm very happy with uh, with uh, Samu because. Uh, in my opinion, Tobin, of course, is a new goalkeeper. He has the potential to play for Benfica as a, as a first goalkeeper, but he's now for eight, nine days with us. So I think he has to get used to everything. And if I have another very good option like um, like Samu, then for me, that was the decision to, to let him play. And um, I think um, it was a good decision because he, he confirmed um, that we have um, three very good uh, goalkeepers. Hello, Mr. Schmidt. We are live on uh, RTP. I would like to, to ask you if um, uh, Vlako Dimus asked you for explanations after knowing that was not going to be on the first team. I leave no comment, uh, no further comment on that. I will ask you uh, about uh, Ristich. Uh, you said uh, uh, yesterday that uh, this season it, he, he had to show his qualities, but uh, today he didn't uh, play, and uh, Orsnes played in that position. Uh, why uh, did not play Ristich? Yeah, because I have different uh, options, and uh, in my opinion today I wanted to have a player on this position who is very good also with the ball, to have a lot of combinations to overload the side, and um, Frederick did it already very well last season on the right side, and um, but he also when he played last season together with Grimaldo on the left side, he was a lot of times also in this position. So I had to make a cha uh, I had to make a, a decision, um, and my decision was to uh, to play with uh, Frederick on this uh, on this position, left back, uh, left fullback position, uh, and with uh, João Mario um, uh, on the half half ten position. So. I think I have different options, and my, my decision was for Frederick. So there you hear the manager, Roger Schmidt, regarding Odysseus. He he tells it like it is. He wanted a different energy is the word he, he uh, used in goal. And um, the next journalist, as you heard, tried to pry further into it, and he wasn't going there, which is a smart decision by by the boss there. Uh, asked about Restitch also, 
he gave his explanation there. I don't agree with that explanation. And as, as we go through the match, um, I'm probably going to say a few times what I thought about Auschwitz as a left back. And um, I don't know why we have this great player and we keep putting him in places that make him less of a good player. Longtime listeners of the pod can remember back when we kept insisting on, I think it was Nuno Tavares, was the left-footed player that, uh, I don't know if it was Nelson Verissimo anymore, if it was Jorge Jesus, kept insisting on playing on the right side when we had no right back there that season. Oh, I don't remember anymore the circumstances why he was playing, but it was literally every single time the ball went to the right. He would play it on his left foot, which meant he had to cut back and come inside every single time. And the same thing happened in this game, just down the left. Every time the ball was swung out to Auschwitz, he naturally put it back on his strong foot, on his right foot, and we stopped moving the ball forward down the left. And for me, that was a big problem in this match, and I don't really agree with, with going with Auschwitz over, over Ristich in that position in this circumstance now. Uh, Roger says he's looking for overloads and looking for combinations. I get it. And yes, when he's playing as a left-sided midfielder, he does, He especially with Grimaldo, he does end up doing a lot of the defending. The difference was you didn't have a Grimaldo there to do the attacking. So you had Auschwitz and João Mario on the same side of the, of the pitch, both on the left side of the pitch, both wanting to go inside on their right foot. And it didn't. And I mean, it was another tough outing for João Mario. But he, in in that situation, in that position, he, he with that team around him, uh, he he is not as likely to succeed. And I think if anybody misses Grimaldo, it's João Mario. I think João Mario really benefited from playing with Grimaldo, and um, he also obviously sometimes would play on the right. I remember where he would he would help. Auschwitz defend and now the difference was you had two right-footed players playing on the right so those two are used to working together but they're used to working together on the other side of the pitch and um I mean it didn't hurt us he he wasn't a liability in any way but uh, offensively speaking every time the ball swung out to wide to the left Auschwitz had to bring it inside on his right foot and you know we lose the threat, we lose the the ability to go vertical in that situation. Um, so I I understand what he said, but I don't agree. But ba- moving back to Odie into the goalkeeping situation, you heard him there. He he stated basically the reasons I said last episode why I didn't I didn't really think Trubin was going to play yet because I don't think he'd been in the in the group long enough. He'd been integrated enough, especially with the goalkeeper. You have to be on the same page with your back four. And um, I don't think that that can be developed in eight or nine days, especially with an assumed language barrier as well uh, between at least him and some of the def- at least him and in Otamendi are not speaking the same language. Although Otamendi does speak English, I shouldn't say that he spent enough time in England, so maybe that's not such an issue. But anyhow, he decided it was the right time to give Samu a chance. And it, it worked. I mean, Samu was not tested at all in this match, so it's hard to say that, you know, he passed with flying colors. A lot of people were happy with him because his play with his feet was good, and it was. I got nervous at times, but it was overall a good performance from Samu in terms of distribution, in terms of being an option uh, to play back to. So uh, I think it worked out in that way, and I, I suppose 
If not now, when are you ever going to give Samu a chance to play, if not in this situation? So I'm really interested to see who starts on Saturday. I really am interested to see who starts on Saturday. Nothing would shock me now. None of the three goalkeepers starting is going to shock me. Um, Because I do think I can see a redemption story here where Roger puts Odie back in goal now that he knows that his position is on the line. I think... When when I heard when I heard that he wasn't starting, my first reaction was that we had an offer for him and we were going to sell him. I thought he had been sold. I honestly, especially when he wasn't even on the bench, I thought he had been sold. Then uh, you know news started circulating of a blow up, and of course I wasn't following this live because I was I was traveling at the time. I was on my way to Ohio driving. For those of you not in the United States, it was an eleven hour drive that I had. I didn't do all of it on Saturday. I did about six and a half, seven hours on Saturday. I did the rest of it Sunday morning. But um, I, so I didn't watch this match live. I watched this match at my hotel when I got there at night. Um, I managed to uh, turn off the social media at three at precisely three o'clock so that uh, I didn't get any any spoilers on this match. I shut off all the social media. I shut off the internet on my phone except for my uh, GPS was the only thing I had running. Um, And I went in my room. I put it up. I put the match up. And I sweated with this one. I was tempted many times to check my phone and just make end the suffering to see how the match went. But I'm glad I stuck it out. I had faith. Um, Ultimately, I had enough faith to watch the the match straight through, even though I started watching it about 7 o'clock at night. Um, and the match had been over for, for almost two hours at that point. So, but yeah, uh, I was a little surprised that he went with, I did not, I did not, uh, give any thought to the possibility of Samu starting this match, given how he, he played against Burnley. But, you know, you heard Roger there talking about how he has impressed him since last season in training. So, um, he shows a real big vote of confidence in Samu. And another thing, I don't know if this is, uh, I don't know if this is in the thought process or not. And they're keeping it kind of behind the curtain, but may have been an opportunity to earn Samu alone somewhere. If in fact Odie's going to stay, and we're going to have these two goalkeepers, there's, you know, I don't see a reason to keep Samu as a third goalkeeper. I think he he can play, and you, there's a team in the first division that probably could could use him and where he could start or at least play most of the time. So um, I suppose this was one way to put him in the shop window if they're even thinking about that. I don't think they're thinking about that, though. I think my my initial reaction was Odie was leaving, but my guess is the offers just haven't come in. They keep talking about an offer from Manchester United, but what sense does that make him talk? You know, he, he – the rumors he has said that he wants to leave if he's not going to st- be the starter. He's ready to fight for the position, but he does need to go somewhere where he's going to play because he wants to remain the national team goalkeeper for Greece, or he wants to remain in the picture. Going to Manchester United and sitting behind Onana is not going to do that for him. So that move does not make much sense to me, other than the fact that he's going to get a very nice raise. But he is already one of the top uh, earners on this Benfica team. Um, so I think that... It's going to be interesting to see the next couple of days, and I, I'll be—I'll join my name to the list of people who cannot wait for this window to close. I hate the last week of August and the last week of January. I hate the end of the transfer windows from a Benfica perspective. There's much more uh, disruption than there is excitement because 
even if we bring people in. The type of players we bring in are very rarely someone that's going to change the team drastically, you know, someone that's really going to improve the team. And we always are at the risk of losing someone crucial on these final days. And um, the transfer rumors continue as now we're now that it's quieted down about David Nedish going to Russia to Spartak Moscow, I think, for some huge sum of money. And I'm not going to get into the politics of doing business with Russia or not doing business with Russia. That's not up for discussion right now. Um, I'm going to stay away from that right now because I don't think it's really relevant. And if business is not done with and we're going off rumors, I mean, it's not relevant. Plus, I do believe that if a player is willing to go to Russia, the club is, is uh, you know, the club is not obligated to prevent him, okay? That is a personal decision. If someone feels comfortable enough to take the money to go to Russia, that's their decision. That is absolutely their decision. And, um, well, I know that that's going to upset some people, so I'm going to leave it at that. But um, aside from from David Nedge, also we're hearing now as of today, Andreas Sheldrup supposedly wants to leave. And, again, I think this is... He's got a new agent, so he has signed with Rafaela Pimenta, I guess. They're calling her a, a million-pound agent uh, or a millionaire agent, and uh, she she wants to move him on, I guess. There's offers for him, but this makes absolutely zero sense to Befica, and I can't see Befica. Befica have done business so well for so long. I cannot see them making a mistake like this. The kid is 19 years old. Okay, he's got a 35-year-old and, you know, um, he's got a 35-year-old in front of him. And he's got, you know, a Joao Mario who's also 30, who doesn't have the same skill set as him. And a Gonzalo Gedge, if that that loan does get extended, if and when that's done, who's injury prone. 12 months from now, it's very likely that, that both Gedge and Di Maria are not here with us. And he'll have that spot to play for. And it makes absolutely no sense. And someone had said that the ex-players are all saying that Roger is always 100% upfront about where someone is in the team. And what the long-term plan is. And if there was no plan for Sheldrop, which is hard to believe. Because if you can invest a, a large amount of money on an unproven kid from, from Scandinavia. Because they believe in him, obviously. And to, to just turn around and sell him after seven months makes no sense at all. Perhaps a loan wouldn't be the worst thing because of who's in front of him, and it would be good for him to get some minutes. But he showed he showed glimpses in preseason, and I know he feels, and his father confirmed this as supposedly in the Norwegian news, that he does want to leave. But wanting to leave and leaving are two different things. And he needs to he needs if he needs to go on loan that's one thing but he he Benfica cannot that would be suicide to sell him at this point unless you know again unless Saudi Arabian money comes into the into play and there's you know a huge sum of money being thrown in their face remember he was signed until 2028 with a 100 million euro buyout clause he's not going to Bournemouth for that it's not i seen uh, people talking about how he would fit in at Bournemouth or Brighton. Bournemouth and Brighton are not hitting anywhere near that exit clause, and um, I would be completely dumbfounded if Befica go ahead and sell him at this point. That makes absolutely zero business sense, 
it makes absolutely zero footballing sense alone makes a lot of sense so again in these final days we'll see what happens there but i uh, i had hopes for him this season and um it looks like I, I wasn't. I had given up uh, ever since the the managerial change at Wolves. I had given up on bringing back Gonzalo Guedes, and I I don't know how much he brings to this team. If he's not healthy, I don't know what purpose he brings. But um, I've I'd of course take him, but I I do feel that that would be a hindrance to Sheldrop. And the reports are also that that Roger Schmidt wants to keep wants to keep Tiago as well. So. Again, there's about a week left in this window. I personally can't wait till it closes so we know what our squad is for the from now until the new year and we can build off that. But that's that's the different things breaking up, you know, uh the new cycle or or making the team sound like it's it's in shambles and I've seen people on the internet saying that the team is in shambles and that Rogers to blame. And I don't think this team is in shambles. I think this team is very, very confident. I think this team is comfortable in where they are. I don't think there's any, any type of, uh, division in this club. Uh, I really have a hard time believing that with the leadership we have in this, in the, on this roster. And I have total faith in, in Roger Schmidt and his ability to lead this team. I can disagree with individual decisions, but as an overall leader, he proved last season he's the right guy for the job. He's the right personality for the job. And quite honestly, um, I think there's still a lot of prejudice against him because he's a foreign coach, because he doesn't get emotional the way he's not like Sergio Conceição stomping up and down the, the, the touchline, yelling and screaming at people. He manages in a different style. We're not used to that. I get that. There's a little bit of a cultural difference that some people can't see past. And unfortunately, in the fan base, there's just too many, too many internet Guardiolas, as I call them. And I think that they, can, they think they can do his job better than him, which is ridiculous. Because remember what type of shambles his team was actually in when he arrived. Okay, those two years with with JJ or that year and a half with JJ followed by a half year with Nelson Verissimo was disastrous. Okay, and the culture was rotten. And last year we saw that improve. We just went into a Super Cup against Porto with no fear. Okay, with no fear. That hasn't happened, you know, in a long time. We went into Dragon last year with no fear. There was the hiccup at home against against Porto that that did you know kind of unravel the second half of the season and make it a lot more stressful than it needed to be. But I do believe we have the right manager at the helm here, and um, I do agree also with with one of the Portuguese news reporters that said something that he believes that there is a force within the club still loyal to LFV, still loyal to Orelhas. And is undermine working to undermine Rui Costa's authority or to undermine his his uh, success, um, in order to maybe protect the legacy of their guy, and um, those rats need to be found out and removed. It's that simple. It's it's easier said than done, but uh, I can subscribe to that theory. I obviously cannot prove it, but I can subscribe to that theory and the fact that I'm sure it's possible in any large organization whether it's a business whether it is a a club a 
you know, a government agency, there is always corruption from within. There is always jealousy within. And there are always people willing to do dirty work to, to sabotage someone else. So it would not shock me if somebody within the structure, within the organization of the club, is undermining the president and leaking stories that are either untrue or or exaggerated to make the the team in the club appear to be more unstable than it is. And um, I think what the players need to do is do what they did Saturday, take the pitch, work through the difficulties, keep at it, find a way, and when your name is called, show up, do your job, and deliver for your team. All right, so we are going to get to the match now. I've got that out of the way. I hope I hit on all the on on all the uh, different topics. I I recorded this segment in two different pieces. Okay, there was some time in between, um, so something came up in the middle of recording. So I may have not got to everything I wished to, and I may have I may have left something open ended and un un um, addressed. But, so I apologize for that. But uh, I'm going to take a break here quickly. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this match. We're going to talk about Benfica v. Estrela D'Amadora. The home opener at the Stadio de Luz. The first match at the Luz this season in front of another good house. It wasn't it wasn't a sellout, but it was a, a strong showing. And um, we'll talk about this when we come back on Mr. Benfica. This is episode 168. And I will be right back. Jornada sofrida, a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos um eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos um eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica, carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Não o carregas sozinho em cada esquina um vizinho Sente o carinho do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo and welcome back to Mr. Benfica episode 168. If you haven't already, follow me on Twitter or on the X, whatever you want to call it, at Mike Agustinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And you can follow the show as well, at Benfica Mr. 
That's on X at Benfica Mister. And if you're an Instagram user, you can follow the show there as well at Mr. Benfica. Okay. Moving on now to the match. Okay, we have here it is round two of the Liga Portugal Bet Click 2023-2024. And as you know, we're at the Stadio de Luz in front of 58,479 Benfica versus Estrela Amadora. And let's take a look at the lineups. We'll start with the visitors who made the short trip from the Margin Sul, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Amadora finds itself there. Uh, Jubileida is the name of the, the neighborhood. And uh, they're managed by Sergio Vieira. And they are playing in a 3-4-2-1. Their goalkeeper, who was standing on his head in this match. He had one heck of a match here. Um, and... Something that's kind of familiar to us Benfica fans is, is the the number of times goalkeepers stand on their head against us. Uh, some of it is is our sometimes nervous finishing. Other times the goalies really do play. They really do elevate their 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 quality against us. And I think Bruno Brigido here, 32 year old Brazilian, really. Uh, brought it in this match. He made a couple of really big saves that kept it 0-0 for a long, long time. Looking quickly into his career as he's now at at Strela, he joined on a free transfer in July of 2022. He's now in his second season. Uh, before that, he played for Feirense for four seasons, making 68 appearances. Orig- originally, uh, his original club is Curitiba in the Brasileirão, uh, and he also spent time on loan at Guarani, and he also spent some time before Curitiba. He was at a team called Piracicaba in, in Brazil, a small, small club in Brazil. And uh, uh, he's found his way here to Estrela Amadora, and he had what I'm going to assume is the match of his career here at the Stade de Luz against Benfica. He gets the start. Three-man back line. We, we have in, in the past shown our difficulties in beating these Back threes that turn into back fives. Um, a lot of that in the past, you know, uh, we got around a lot of that, I should say, last year with the emergence and real elevation of Gonzalo Ramos. Of course, now he's a PSG player. And we're getting, we're still figuring that out right now exactly what we're going to look like up front. Not necessarily who the, the pieces are going to be, but how we are going to attack the, the front four of our team how we're going what type of runs we're going to make what type of movements we're looking for um the back three for Estrela Amadora uh playing in the middle of the center is the 25 year old Kenyan Johnstone Omura uh he is he is partnered on his right by the captain 25 year old Angolan Kiolonda Gaspar and on his left the Brazilian Mansour. Uh, the wingbacks on the right is Everton Santos, 22-year-old Brazilian. And on the left, it is 31-year-old Portuguese wingback João Reis. Uh, the double pivot in midfield. They've got Vitu and they've got Leo Cordeiro. Uh, those are the two in the middle of the park. Playing behind the two attacking center mids. Down the right, the Brazilian Leo Jabá. 25-year-old, and his partner, Ronald Pereira, 22-year-old Brazilian. A lot of Brazilians in this club. And the striker is the 26-year-old Portuguese uh, striker, Ronaldo Tavares. 
All right, that is the lineup for Estrela Amadora for Benfica. We already talked about the goalkeeper. Of course, Rogers playing in a 4-2-3-1. And Samu Swaj is getting his first career Liga uh, first Division, Liga Portugal, bet click, if you want to call it for sponsorship reasons. Uh, start in this one. And the back four is slightly changed, as you know. Uh, ba is the right back. Antonio and Otamendi are the center backs with Auschnitz, Mr. Everything, Mr. Uh, firefighter. He puts fires out wherever they occur, wherever you need him. He shows up. Frederick Auschnitz, he is the left back on the day. The double pivot in midfield. We had talked about this. I thought we were going to see Florentino come into the starting lineup in this one. We did not. We get Jonevs, Johnny Snows, along with Orkan Kokchu, uh, the Turkish international, who for me had a very good game. I think he was the he was actually the best player on the park, in my opinion, um, of the starters. Of the starters, he was the best player on the park, and um, he. He's growing. He's growing in into this uh, team. He's learning the syncrasies. He's learning the movements. He's learning the methodology, if you will, of this team. And little by little, he is growing into the leader of this team. And, um, well, I, I take back that I thought he was the best player on the pitch. But because I'm looking at it and I'm reminded of the performance of the guy I'm going to talk about in a minute. But. Very, very strong, in my opinion, performance for Kokchu. And in the second half, really, really got going as the team started to look for the winner. And I, I still have very, very high hopes on this guy. I mean, I've seen people already judge him a flop after three official matches. And again, he had a winning assist against Porto. He, had a, he didn't have an assist in this match, but he had a important... Uh, vertical pass that did set up the first goal. He finds he finds Nedish, um breaking, which sets up the first goal. So uh, again, I'm I'm liking him, and I'm I'm more patient than most, of course. But I I think that this guy is going to be really really good. Okay, in the number ten position is the statistical man of the match. Whether you're looking on goal point or you're looking at Oh, actually, I should I take that back. On Fop Mob, he is the man of the match. On Sofa Score, he's the man of the match. On Goal Point, Kokchu is the man of the match. But I'm talking now about Rafa Silva playing in the number 10 position behind the striker. Uh, fantastic, fantastic form to start the season for Rafa Silva here. Rafa, in August and September, is always a machine. And uh, this season is starting to be no different. And I'm happy about that. Hopefully, with more depth in the squad, hopefully with... Um, you know, more help around him in terms of doing the things he does. He's got more line breakers, more creative players. Uh, he can carry less of the burden and just stay healthier and stay more in not so much health necessarily as it is just overall form. Uh, he can keep his standard of playing higher for longer this season. And of course, on his right is the legend, the all world legend, the. There's just no superlatives for him. Angel Di Maria, he gets another obvious start. And debuting for Benfica in the striker position, this is out of necessity. And this is another guy that I saw a lot of people were not happy with. But I, I liked what I saw from him for, for his first game with the team after only spending a couple days with the team. I liked, I liked this as a starting point for Artur Cabral. And I think that uh, he can evolve into a very, very good striker. 
for this team. Once his teammates learn how to play with him and he with them, I think uh, I think we may have something here. And um, again, this match was played under intense pressure. I mean, you could feel it right from from the go. Of course, Yurasek um, is injured in this one, so that is why you see Auschwitz getting the start. But from the go, you could feel the tension in the team. You knew that uh, they knew they had to win. Starting the season off with a defeat, of course, is is less than ideal, especially when your direct rivals for the title all won. And uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but I got lost as well. And they are a direct rival, and they are a candidate until they're they they fall, you know, a significant amount behind. I'm going to consider them a candidate. Uh, people are laughing at them. I'm not laughing at them. They picked up a a, a big win yesterday. Congratulations to them, by the way, winning two one over Panathinaikos in the first leg of that Champions League qualifier. Uh, they have a very hard second leg ahead of them. Nothing is decided, but uh, they they are a good team and they are a candidate. And if they drop into the Europa League, they're even more of a candidate in the league because they will focus on the league because I do think they have the personnel to really make a run this year. And they, uh, yeah, they lost their first match to, to Family Cone, but I believe a lot of that had to do with with the fact that they were in the middle of this Champions League, you know, qualifying stage that we found ourselves in last season. And it's very easy to slip up in between two important, uh, you know, Champions League matches, Champions League qualifying matches. Plus, Family Co. I think are also a team that are going to push for top five this season, and uh, they are going to have an outside shot at getting uh, a European spot. We'll see in a month and a half, two months from now, where where they stand. But the picture will be a lot clearer then. But judging by how they've looked so far, I uh, I like what I've seen from Fama. Mefica get on the front foot, but it is uh, Strela with the first opportunity in the fifth minute. Leo Jaba with a right-footed shot from more than 35 yards away, but he misses to the left. Befica settle in, though, and Befica will get an opportunity here after the first yellow card of the match is shown to Johnstone Amura, uh, the center back for Strela. It is Orkin Kokchu with a right-footed shot, but it is blocked. And then another attempt blocked in the 16th. Rafa this time. Left-footed shot from the center of the box that he was set up by uh, João Mario. João Neves had his attempt missed a minute later. Left-footed shot from outside the box. It was close, though, but he missed just to the left. More Benfica in the 18th minute. This time it's João Mario with a right-footed shot from inside the box, but it is blocked. He was set up by Artur Cabral. Strela get an opportunity of their own here in the 23rd. Ronald uh, with a left-footed shot from the center of the box. It's close, but it misses top left. This is probably the best opportunity that Strela had. But again, they did not call. Uh, they did not call Samuel into any type of you know crucial save here. We move forward to the 26th. Di Maria, one of his many chances here, and he, he was very unlucky in this match. I think Di Maria played quite well. Um, he's still at an amazing level for his age. Let me let me tell you, he is still at a, an amazing level for his age, and it's no, it's no surprise, you know, that Argentina won the World Cup last year. Yes, they have Messi, and yes, uh, he got a lot of the accolades, but he just as old, if not older, uh, Angel Di Maria was also playing at a ridiculous ridiculous level. 
uh, for his age at that World Cup. And again, like I've said, if we get, you know, 60% of the Di Maria that Argentina got in the World Cup for the majority of the season, we're going to be in good shape because there's not going to be, in my opinion, many games like this where he gets this many opportunities in the, and they don't get finished. Uh, again, he was just everywhere in this match. And uh, he was beating players at will. And it was just the final piece wasn't coming together. Uh, he had This one in the 26th was just high. In the 28th, Jerome Neves again with a left-footed shot from outside the blocks, box, but it's blocked. Di Maria still in the 28th. This is Benfica just absolutely laying it on here, looking for the, the opener. And it's Di Maria's left-footed shot from the center of the box. He misses just right. Uh, Jerome Mario picks him out with a nice pass. We move ahead, and we go to now the 32nd minute, and it's Alexander Ba this time with an opportunity. This was a good ball from Kokchu, and I said I liked what he, he brings to this team, and I like what I'm seeing so far. He's not setting the world on fire yet, but he's doing the little things, and he is more and more familiar with his team each match, and I think he, he is figuring out his teammates better and better. And he sends a exquisite ball if I may say so myself here uh, he puts it through on a diagonal finds Artur Cabral but Artur Cabral his left footed shot is saved in the center of the goal he doesn't quite get enough of it but he nearly you know a little bit better contact on the ball a little bit better direction and he would have opened his scoring account for Benfica 33rd minute Romario again right footed shot from outside the box close but misses in the top right Again, set up by Kokchu. Rafa's turn in the 35th to have his shot blocked. Again, it's it's Di Maria at the middle of it, creating the space, finding Rafa. But his shot in the center of the box is blocked. And uh, if he can miss out on another opportunity to to go ahead. In the 37th minute, João Neves goes into the referee's book for a yellow card foul on Vitor. And... Um, that's, I think, two already this season. Two and two matches for João Neves. And um, his his aggress his aggressiveness is a good thing. But it also, it's leading to him mistiming his challenges and finding himself in the referee's book. I think he's been booked in all three matches. The first one, obviously, was the Super Cup. But I think he's been booked in all three matches this season. Um, but Vito does stay down a little while. Um and there was a lot of staying down for for Estrella in this match. Uh, as the match wore on, they just they they were wasting a lot and a lot of time, and they were going down. They were cramping. They were any chance they had to break the rhythm and the flow of this match to try to break Benfica's momentum. They took that chance in the 41st minute, though. After a delay, it's Di Maria on it again. Left-footed shot from outside the box. This was one of the first real big saves from Brigidu. He goes into the bottom left corner and somehow keeps this one out. Angel nearly scores his second of the season, nearly puts Benfica ahead, and it could have been a much less stressful second half had that gone in. A minute later, it's Artur with an opportunity, a header in the center of the box, but he puts it just wide. And guess who delivered the cross on that one? It was Angel Di Maria. 44th minute. Uh, Benfica attacking again, but Ronald wins uh, a free kick in the defensive half, breaking up Benfica's attack. Romario goes in the yellow goes in the referee's book for a yellow card on this play. 
and uh, probably contributed to his early exit as well as to what the game was calling for. But um, again, Jomari was struggling. Statistically, he, he did all right here. Uh, Fop Mob gives him a pretty good rating. Uh, goal point, not quite so good, but not a bad one by any means. But again, not the Jomario we saw last season. Um, again, just missing, I think, some of his partners last season that gave him such good form, whether it was playing next to Enzo, who made everyone better, Enzo and Tino. And again, I thought Tino was going to start in this match, and he didn't. It just seems to me that when Tino plays, the rest of the players around him play better. It's it's not even always what he brings, but it's how much better everyone else plays and how much more freedom the rest of the midfield has. And I do think Roger has a has to find a way to get him on the pitch more, um, because I think he brings a lot of quality and he brings a lot of stability. And like I said. It makes everyone else play better. And I think why we're not so impressed maybe with some of the other guys so far this season. I I, I, ch I, I chalk it up to not playing next to Tino. Whether it's João Neves, whether it's it's uh, João Mario, whether it's you know even Kokshu who hasn't had the opportunity yet to really play next to him for a long period of time. Whether it's Auschnitz, you know, I think there's a missing piece in that midfield and I think it's the stability in the confidence brought by having Tino there to really relieve everybody else of any defensive worries. Um, playing with a more true double pivot like we are means that everyone has to be a little bit more aware of their positioning, a little bit more aware of where they are, and a little more hesitant to go into that open space or to really attack that space. Di Maria with another opportunity in the 45th plus one left-footed shot from the left side of the of the box but what will become a, a theme here is Strelo with many many players in their box they were often with eight players in their box and they blocked a lot of shots that brings on halftime 0-0 at the half and Roger makes a substitution and I think he saw what I saw and maybe maybe he, this will change the way that he sends the team out on Saturday but Tino comes in for Jonev Jonev of course already booked so he was the logical, uh, the logical choice to be replaced there in the midfield too, in the in the double pivot, and with with that, it allows Kokshu more freedom. Kokshu can play more as an eight, less of a double pivot, because Tino plays more of a six. And and I, I've heard the argument, and I actually do see what uh, some of the guys at Benfica Independent are seeing also. Particularly João Nunu, he talks about how he what he's seeing is is that João Neves is being taken and he is being molded into a six, into a modern six, not a Tino type of six, a holding midfielder that just you know a destroyer or just you know a, a six like we knew, a, a true six like we knew. He's molding. He's molding João Neves more into a mo more modern six, a more German six, if you will, if if, if I'm a if I can use that term, if you forgive that term, um, more mobile six, a more you know up and down. I guess you could call him a six and a half, um, but he's being molded away from that, and it's part of his progression. Uh, a lot of midfielders at this level, if you get to a Benfica, okay, 
it's very common that your progression is that you played as a 10 as a youngster and you evolved into an 8 at the end of your junior or early senior play. And I think now the next step in that progression, in that evolution for João Neves is to be made into a more modern, higher-pressing 6. Not like we know it again. Not like a 6 like I would have played, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago when I played in that role uh, at times. And it was a role I, I thoroughly enjoyed because I knew my job very well. And I took a lot of pride in... in shutting down the other team's top players and making very good passes to set up my dribblers, you know, and put my dribblers into into positions where they could, you know, exploit the, the opposition. That's not really the six. The game is not going in that in that direction. Jornun uses the example of, of Rodri at, at Manchester City and he sees he sees Benfica and Roger trying to mold Jonevge into that type of six, into that type of midfielder that can show up in the box, not just sit back, but can win the ball, can come back, be a be an option from the central defenders to receive the ball, but who can then turn and go forward with it, and who can show up in the area, you know, and get on the end of crosses and find rebounds and find find you know be those that late arriving type of player that can get on the end of a ball and that can, you know, use his superior passing skills as well to put, as I call them, the dribblers, in this case, the the, the Marias and the Nerej and the, when he's healthy, Gedge and the Rafas into dangerous positions in order to create havoc for the other team and really put the goal scorers in position to, to put the ball in the back of the net. I do see that, um, but I think this match called for a little bit more stability uh, to allow everybody else to really exploit the spots because you're going to need to put more bodies forward. And I think by bringing Tino in, it allows the wingbacks to both get further forward and it allows the rest of the midfield to get into the into the gaps that may form and to find the spaces to play through the, that back, a lot, many times back eight that Strela was lining up with. So I think that that's the thought behind that substitution. Of course, if... The media asked anything about the actual match in the post-match uh, press conference. Perhaps Roger would have told us exactly the thought behind this this substitution, but it was never asked. All they asked about was Odie and Ristich and why Nedish doesn't start, essentially. And they really didn't even ask about that. So um, that was the change made at halftime. And again, Benfica come out in the second half needing a goal, of course. Um, in the 50th minute, Arthur gets an absolutely horrible yellow card. And by horrible, I mean it's a horrible call from the referee. He's trying to do a Cruyff turn. He he takes a heavy touch, and he's running at full pace to try to get to it. And he's trying to do a Cruyff turn, turn not only to keep the ball, but also to avoid the contact with the defender. And his foot... In the process of turning, comes down slightly on the foot of João Reis. And João Reis sells it like a WWE wrestler. Of course, he sells it like like Kurt Haining in the 80s. And, and if you're not a fan of wrestling, you don't get the reference. I get it. But the greatest seller of all time, if you will. And he completely sells it. And the referee falls for it. Um, 
quite pathetically in my opinion. The referee in this match, his name was Gustavo Correa. He pitifully falls for it. Um, this is not a stamping. He does not stamp on him. He is trying to actively avoid contact. And from the replay, I'm not even sure how much contact he makes with Dronhej. However, the striker goes in the referee's book for a yellow card. Dronhej, again, stays down, kills about three minutes, and uh, ends up being substituted, however. So perhaps there was, maybe I'm being a little hard on him here. Uh, he he does get substituted. Jean-Philippe, the Brazilian, comes on for Dronhej, the Portuguese uh, wingback. And perhaps he was more injured than I thought. I don't know. I'm actually going to look right now. He's not listed on FOTMOB as injured as we speak. So I don't know how much of an actual injury it was. Or if it was fatigue. Or, you know, if it was a tactical switch. Or maybe just a scare. I don't know. But anyhow, you get the substitution there. But it's still, it's Benfica pushing forward. Artur taken down. On the right wing in the 55th by Mansour. Mansour goes in the referee's book. Rafa wins a free kick in the 56th. And um, we get a substitution after that. And it is for Strela. Regi Nadeau comes in. He is a 22-year-old Malian uh, right winger. He comes in and replaces the Brazilian Leo Jabá. Uh, and Befica with another opportunity on the hour mark. It's Orkin Kokchu again. Right-footed shot from outside the box. But it is blocked again. Eight bodies in the area most of the time. Um, the, something I think Kokchu is going to have to, especially him, because he's less familiar with, with our league, get used to. Because you don't see this in the Dutch league. Okay, You don't see teams putting this many players in the box and, and parking it there, camping out there. You know, with the intention of playing for a 0-0 draw all the time. Um, and Dutch football is more open. It's more everybody attacks, everybody defends. It's a much, you know, they try to, even the lower teams in the league try to play that total football that they believe in. And uh, and I believe in, to be, to be honest with you, they play a very attractive brand of football. It's no surprise why they, their teams do much better than our teams in Europe recently because they play better football. It comes down to being that simple. I know that's hard for some fans of this of our league to hear, but it, it's it's a fact. Um, so the fa- part of, of breaking that down is players like Kokshu taking shots from distance, okay? Um, and I guess one of the handicaps of having Tino in versus Ajoan Neves is Tino's not going to take that shot from distance. But Tino is going to be crucial in, in in moments, okay? His name is going to come up shortly. And he's not getting enough credit for this, but I'm obviously going to give it to him. You guys know how highly I rate Tino, but I will, I will admit that one of the things you lose with him is one guy that can really smack the ball from distance. But, but Kokshu can be that guy. Uh, it can pull defenses out, but he is going to have to learn to find the gaps and find the spaces to put that ball through these, um, you know, these very deep lying uh, defensive teams. And in the 61st minute, a corner is conceded by Estrela, and uh, goalkeeper Brigidu uses it as an opportunity to go down. I don't know if you. I don't remember if he was cramping, if he was complaining of, of his side, but he he kills three more minutes there. 
From the 60th to the 63rd minute, we have a delay. And then the corner is played, and it is conceded again by Omura. Puts it out for another corner. And on the ensuing corner, Arthur is called for a foul. Um, play comes down the other way, and Tino will concede a corner in the 65th, making it a little bit nervous in the stadium. The Stadio de Luz Stadium of Light is feeling a little bit tense, a little bit nervous. This is the reality of Benfica. You know, the old-timers say when you're not winning after 10 minutes in the Stadio de Luz, the pressure comes down. The Tercedanel, the third level they talk about, you know, you can feel the pressure coming from them. Benfica do up their their urgency, and it's João Mario. And, and, you know, it's been a few days, and I remembered him coming out of the match earlier than he actually did. Here in the 66, he's still in. And he combines here with Auschwitz down the left. And he takes a right-footed shot, but it is blocked once again. by This time by Everton Santos conceding another corner. And on the corner, you get... They play it short, actually, on this corner. Di Maria gets a left-footed shot from the right side of the box, but it's just a bit too high. Kokshu finds him on the short pass, and um, it is it is just a little high. Befica's still knocking at the door. And then the substitution we were all waiting for, and I was waiting for. And it is David Nersh coming in for João Mario. No surprise here. Uh, we knew this substitution was coming. We just didn't know when. And I, I read everybody saying he needs to start. End of story. He's not fit enough to start. Roger has already explained this. He sat out the Super Cup. He only played a few minutes at Bessa against Boavista. He played more minutes here. He gets about 20 plus the 10 minutes of stoppage time or 8 minutes of stoppage time, whatever it was. So he gets about a half hour here. He's not as fit as he should be. For whatever reason, fitness is an issue with this player. Otherwise, he would be a global superstar. I'm telling you that right now. He would be a huge star if not uh, for this issue with fitness. He, he does not play as well when he starts. When he comes off the bench, he is deadly. There are It's a Jekyll and Hyde situation with Nedish. And yes, I want to see him play more. And there are games where, yes, he should start. And if he's fully fit, I think he starts this match. This is the kind of opponent he has to start against. But he's not fully fit. But we get him, and he completely puts the game on its head. I mean, what he did in 20 minutes to completely dis destroy the morale and the organization of Estrella Damadora cannot go unnoticed. It, it has to be pointed out. He completely breaks their lines with the dribble. He comes in completely um, motivated. And for everyone who said he couldn't play on the left, here, he set up two goals here in this match, playing mostly from the left. Yes, the second goal that he sets up, he's, he's starting in the right, going left. But that's because he drifted central. 69th minute, we get an opportunity here. Di Maria is, again, the guy setting it up. And it's he plays it across... For his national team teammate and Benfica captain Nicholas Otamendi, Otamendi gets on the end of it, but his but his header is just a little high. Double substitution, then no triple substitution for Strela in the 70th. Manuel Kiliano, Aluan Nadur, and Pedro Sa come on. Off go Ronaldo Tavares, Vitu, and Leo Cordeiro. 
And it's more Benfica in the 72nd. It's Rafa. This time his shot is blocked when he is set up by Di Maria. Di Maria doing all kinds of work once again. Uh, his shot is blocked. It's cleared. It comes to Rafa. Rafa gives it to Kokshu. Kokshu fires it. But his shot again saved in the bottom left corner. Brigidu once again finds a way to get his paw in that bottom left corner and keep another well-struck shot out. Frustrating. Befica fans are looking, you know, looking nervous, looking like more points are going to slip at home this time to a newly promoted side, uh, mind you. And the visitors get a rare second-half opportunity here in the 76 on the counter. Ronald Pereira's right-footed shot from outside the box, though. It's blocked by none other than Florentino Luis. And in the 78th minute, Roger makes a substitution that ultimately pays big-time dividends. That's it for, for Arthur Cabral on his debut. I think, he, again, I saw things I liked in his debut it wasn't perfect by any means, but I saw things I liked. And I saw, you know, I saw movement that I liked. He's not quite sure what he's supposed to be doing. Again, just a few days to get used to his teammates, to get used to the way that we play, the way that we attack. And he looks to be more of a box-type presence. Um, but he's more mo he is more mobile than Musa, it looks like. Um, be interesting to see how he evolves in the coming weeks as well and how that situation you know who's going to log most of the minutes there between him Musa and the substitute who comes on and makes a good case for himself it's Casper Tinkstead uh getting a rare opportunity here we didn't see much of him last season but credit to him he comes in and it doesn't take a very long uh, he's enters in the 78th and the 79th. David Nedge with a left-footed shot is blocked. It's cleared. Um, it's actually not cleared. The defender tries to pass it out of the box. And again, nobody is pointing this out. Nobody is giving credit to this player. But it is a play that is anticipated and read perfectly by one Florentino Luis. Reads the play. Slides to break up the pass. His ball, his... his tackle or is sliding his slide stops the ball and directs it into the direction of Orkan Koksu. Kokchu then picks up his head, makes that that vertical pass that breaks the defensive line of Shtelo Amadora as they are trying they're trying to pull up and clear out of the area to to put anybody behind them offside obviously. They don't pick up Nerj in the play. Nerj times his movement perfectly. He receives it. He gets space down the left. He's inside the box on his left foot. Plays it across the box in a very intelligent off-the-ball movement from Casper Tinkstedt. Drifts right to where he knows Nerj wants to put the ball. And all he has to do is get his right foot on it. And it is first touch of the game. Here is Casper Tinkstedt. Excuse me. Here's how it sounded here in North America on Goal TV. On the call here, it is my friend Nino Torres. Long ball for Chibol. And the turnover. You can spread the Viking with Koku. Koku with the combination. He's with Rafa. El Tino, yes. El Tino, no. No angle for the shot. The dance. Neres with the shot and the block. El Tino Luis. And now David Neres. 
Here come the Eagles. Oh, my Lord, Casper. Casper for the Eagles. Oh, the very first ball that he touched. The very first one. The sweet touch of the Vikings. The Vikings are all, all in for Benfica tonight. That's the kind of touches that you need. All night long. Brigido look unbeatable, indestructible, unbreakable. But you only need one touch. You only need to change one thing. And that was to bring another Viking into the pitch to get this job done for the Eagles. It is right now for Benfica. Andalus. Andalus. Neres. And Casper. I know he's not a ghost. He's not a ghost. He's for real, baby. Casper, the friendly ghost, Tengstedt. No, he is not a ghost, as you heard there. Uh, he, he, you can't have a better first touch in a game, can you? But, again, underrated and un underappreciated, I think, is the movements he made in the box to put himself free in the position to score that goal, especially coming cold off of the bench. Um, and you can just sense the, my favorite word in the Portuguese language, alivio, the alivio, the relief in the stadium and the explosion when Befica scored. I exploded in my in my hotel room uh, watching with my son on my laptop, right? I mean, again, it was hours after this had happened, and I, and I jumped, probably woke people up. I don't know if anyone was sleeping on my floor, but I was cheering. I was clapping. I was ecstatic. When Befica scored, there was a huge sigh of relief as well, and I was confident this time Befica were gonna we're gonna take care of business. For one, we had eleven men on the pitch, and for two, just Estrela were not posing much of a threat. They really had only one or two attacks all second half, and Befica will continue to control the match through the rest of the second half here with uh this goal comes of course in the 78th minute if i'm not mistaken 79th minute and benfica managing well but still get, getting opportunities in the 82nd minute it's rafa with the right foot shot from outside the box saved in the top center of the goal again david nerch causing havoc for strela finding uh, Rafa here. A very, very strong performance from Rafa. Again, this is two weeks in a row. We got very strong performances from Rafa. In uh, in the 83rd minute, a half chance for Strela. It is Aluun Nidur. He uh, has a right-footed shot from outside the box, but it's right at at uh, Samu, and it's not hit with much pace at all. Samu had all afternoon to, to get down and cover that one and to, to safely bring it into his midst as um, not too much. It's not going to trouble him. So his uh, Samu's confidence, I'm sure, is restored after this performance. Um, he, again, like I said, was good when, when called upon to play with his feet, and that's something... This fan base really wants is a goalkeeper that can play with his feet, obviously. It's been shouted from the rooftops for seasons now. Um, and I think the main reason people have such a distaste for Odie has a lot more to do with his lack of ability with his feet and not his, his goalkeeping ability. Yes, everyone jumps on him when he 
when he fails, you know, when his shot stopping lets him down as it did at Boavista. But really, I think even more so than, uh, you know, his weakness in coming out, I think it's his lack of foot skills that really gets under people's nerves because people really want a goalkeeper that can play with his feet because he does provide, you know, it is like having an 11th field player at times when, you, when you've when you had someone like Ederson in goal for you before or Julius Cesar, you know, uh, both of them very good with their feet and how they were we were able to, you know, break presses and be able to, you know, just put players in dan- quick counters and dangerous opportunities uh, because of the, that goalkeeper's ability to do that. Um, and I think fans yearn for another Ederson. The, the 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 thing is, there's only so many of those, and the chances of another one of those coming into our club are slim. Although it from all from all um, reports, it sounds like you know, it sounds like Trubin can be that guy. You know, in time, he's not there now, from what I understand, but he has all of the pieces to be there soon the flip side of that is if he gets there too quick we're only going to have him for a season or two so again this is the the dilemma that you are when you are Benfica and when you're good in the market is that everybody's watching your players immediately and it doesn't take much as you see for clubs to come with big big pocketbooks and to make huge offers for our players many times too soon in my opinion um very few times have I believed that Benfica have uh, have sold at the right time. I think their hand has been forced every time. But from a player development standpoint, just about every time we sell, the player should have stayed another season or two. I don't care. Obviously, it has proven true with Renato Sanchez. It has proven true with João Felix. It has proven true... With Darwin, it has proven true. You know, I think it's going to prove true with Gonzalo Ramos. Okay, these guys, even Enzo, it's proving somewhat true. Okay, he's not having the kind of success that his price tag demands because it was still too soon, in my opinion, for him to jump out. I think if he finishes last season and he goes into Chelsea fresh this season, had he accepted that loan back, I think he would be in a better place than he is. But that's just my personal opinion, and it's coming from the standpoint of a Mefikista, of course. Uh, final minutes roll on, okay? In the 88th, Nerj nearly scores as he has a left-footed shot saved in the top center of the goal, as I said. 90th plus one, Otamendi wins a free kick in the defensive half, and uh, the ball gets worked around, and then in the 90th plus three, we get the... F- the final nail, if you will, you get the final relief. And for a change of perspective, here's how it sounded in Portugal on the radio, on Portuguese radio. This is this is Nuno Matos, the the legendary Nuno Matos on Antena Um. Que mestria, que jogapana, que lance de Pavel de Nere. Que lance de Pavel de Nere. Num 
centro de corpo e alma numa jogada fabulosa da vida Mares. O passe foi meio golo e Rafa da cara da Brígida tirou para a rede. Benfica, Benfica, é do 27, é do Rafa, mas a jogada é linda, 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 linda de morrer. Que classe, que passe do David Amel. Rafa Silva with the goal there, and you don't have to understand Portuguese to understand that, I don't think. Uh, Nuno Matos there is going crazy for the goal, as uh, he gives most of the credit to David Neres, and rightfully so there. Neres does it all there. <laughs> the ball comes in, and just with simple body movements, it's just a work of art. He completely cuts up the Strela defense. He gets them all shifting one way, cuts it back. They can't turn quick enough, and Rafa walks in thanks to that. And it's a perfect pass, too. It beats any offside trap. I mean, that the defense was in complete disarray. And then Rafa gets one-on-one -on -one with Brigidu and puts it in the roof of the net. And at first, it looked like he was going to be offside. There was a, It was a little bit of a delayed reaction, but uh, nope, he is well onside. And Benfica take a 2-0 lead. And Benfica win 2-0. That really is uh, the icing on the cake there. And uh, let's hear from Roger Schmidt then in the post match. Uh, here's the last bit we're going to hear from him. Uh, this is just his quick analysis of the match. This is the only question he was asked about this match. <laughs> so uh, here's what here's what he thought. Good evening, Mr. Roger Schmidt. What is your opinion about this match? Um, yeah, my opinion is that we played a very good match. So we created a lot of chances and uh, normally you could do it easier to influence the game at the right moment with goals. So today I think we missed a lot of chances. The goalkeeper of um, the opponent was, was fantastic. So he had some big, big saves. And the task today was to stay patient, to st always believe, to be always organized also in the uh, counter defending because, of course, the, the, the opponent was always looking for these moments. So my players did that and um, I think we, we were able to, to create um, a lot of very good moments with combinations, uh, very good shots. Uh, and at the end, um, I think we scored. It um, was important today to have also very good players from the bench. So um, David Neres uh, was fantastic today so he played uh, uh, very good created a lot of chain reactions um, um, give two assists for the goals uh, Kaspar came in and was there at the first post so I think there were so many good things today um, also that Samu showed today in the stadium what he show, is showing already um, the whole um, last season and also this preseason um, that he's a very good, talented uh, goalkeeper, so I'm very happy for him because it's never easy to uh, to play the first game. So today was um, a very good day. It was important to win after Monday. I think it's no doubts about uh, the, the, that we deserve to win. We could score maybe a few goals more, but today we are happy that we won. And that's Roger's analysis of the match, and I, for one, completely agree with, with uh, how he saw it. I saw it the same way. And... Not really much to to 
much to say there. As uh, like I said, I agree pretty much with everything he said there. And um, yeah, but they could have won by three or four, a no doubt, if not for the performance of a very, uh, very. I should say, if not for the the performance, yeah, of a very motivated uh, Brigidu in goal, he was quite fantastic. Uh, it could have easily been five nil, and we'd be talking completely different. And the confidence levels, I think, in this team would be completely higher, because we are at we are at a place where what we expect from these matches is a four five nil victory. It's not going to happen every time. But this team really needs a breakout match like that where they do score, you know, a number of goals and they do ease some of the tension, you know, in the fan base. Not just in the fan base, but ease some of the pressure off of themselves as well. And, um, again, this is a crucial, crucial season. I think the pressure and the forces outside the pitch are going to be more intense than ever this season because... Only one team in this league is going to be guaranteed a spot in the Champions League next season. Only the champion is going to go straight to the group stage. Um, Benfica w- winning the league this season, this could be the most important title of the of a generation. This could set the tone for the next number of years if we can win the title this season. And if we can make it that back-to-back that has not happened in this league for, I believe, six seasons now. So let's go through the goal point uh, here quickly. I'll start with the visitors. I'll start with Estrela. Here are their ratings on goal point. Uh, Brigidu in goal gets a 6.3. The three across the back, Omura, 5.1. Gaspard, 7.5. And Mansour, 5.2. João Reis, 4.9. Vitor, 5.1. Leo Cordeiro, 5.5. Everton Santos 4.5, Ronald uh, 4.7, Leo Jara Jaba excuse me 4.5, and Ronaldo Tavares 5.7 off the bench. Jean Philippe 4.2, Regi 4.2, Kiliano 4.8, Nadur 4.9, and Pedro Sa 4.4. They had a team XG of 0.4 goals, uh, expected goals with a 5.27 average rating. Benfica. Okay, coming in with a 6.5 average rating, an XG of 2.9. So Benfica slightly underperformed their XG. Again, could have very easily been 3-4 or even 5-0. Semu gets a 5.6 in goal. Ba, 6.0. Antonio Silva, 5.8. Otamendi, 5.9. Auschwitz, 6.1. Again, I thought he killed the play too many times. That doesn't show up in the stat sheet. But I thought he killed the play too many times, cutting it back onto his right foot. But it sounds like the plan was to actually do a lot more of that and to find those 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 uh, combination plays inside. So it looks like he did exactly what the manager asked of him. Romario, 6.4. Not a bad rating considering I didn't I really didn't remember him having that good of an outing, but a 6.4 is, is a respectable uh, rating in, in a match like this. Goal point had Kokchu as the player of the match with an 8.4 rating statistically. Jonevs 5.0. Di Maria, 7.2. Artur Cabral, 5.4. And Rafa Silva, 8.4. Just the, the same rating 
as as Kokshu. Okay, off the bench, Florentino 5.9. David Nersh, 8.2 off the bench. Very rare. A player comes off the bench, plays 20 minutes, and gets that high of a rating. Just the way the algorithm works, that does not happen very often. Tengstedt, with a goal off the bench, gets a 6.8. Shikinu did come in late. He did not play enough to earn a rating. Looking at some of the statistics, Pifika outshot Strela. 30-8 to eight, with 9 of them being on goal. 9 shots on goal to Estrella's 2. Yeah, this again, this could have easily been 4-5-0 with just the number of shots that were on goal. Actions in the opponent's area, 49-13 to 13 in favor of Benfica. 9 uh, corners to 4 in favor of Benfica. Pass efficiency, Benfica 87% to Estrella's 72%. Vertical pass efficiency, 68% for Benfica to 54 for Strela. Actions in the opponent's midfield, 22 to 4 in favor of Benfica. Strela committed more fouls, however, 14 to 8. And ball possession, Benfica, 66 to 33% uh, advantage there. Just going down some more of the of the goal point. Um, some of the tweets they put out at halftime. Uh, Kokshu was the highest-rated player at that time with the 7.6. João Mario was second with 6.2 at the half. And Di Maria third with 6.2 as well. You look at some of the past tendencies. The highest past tendency in this match was Antonio Silva to, to Ba. And then Ba to Di Maria was the second most. Clearly Benfica attacking much more down the right. And um, Otamendi to Oshness was only 12, while Otamendi to Antonio was 12. So the ball was going from left to right a lot more than it went from from right to left. Um, Antonio to Otamendi only 12 times. So almost twice as many passes were completed from left to right than from right to left. Um, just, uh, again, Benfica combining for a lot of passes, obviously. Uh, looking at some more of the statistics here. Looking at the the heat map, you can't see it obviously through an audio file, but Kokshu's heat map, uh, he covers really from the left center to the right center channel. He covers that whole portion of the field um, just on the edge of the attacking third. That's the hottest point of his map. He had two uh, opportunities uh, created, five passes for shots. Uh, he had the one... Br- uh, Huptura, one breaking pass where he broke the line. That was the one, of course, that ends up in Nerj getting the assist on the goal. 17 forward passes for for uh, Kokshu. Fantastic number. And long passes, he attempted 10, connected on 8 of them. Very good percentage. And 4 defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. And he even blocked 3 passes or crosses. Very, very complete performance from uh, one Orkan Kokshu. Rafa, also very, very good. A goal, and uh, a ball off the post. A pass for, three passes for a shot, and he had an 88% pass efficiency. Um, Nerej here with 10 minutes on the field, goal points set in the 81st. He was already the the player with the most progressive drives, the most forward drives with four of them. After just 10 minutes. He had two assists. Four passes for shots. One breaking line breaking pass. 95% pass efficiency for David Neres in this one. 
And again, he finished with five progressive drives or five forward drives, attempted five dribbles and compl- and complete successfully on three of those. Uh, very very dominant performance from him, and that that is the performance here for Benfica in this one. Again, a well earned uh, three points as Roger said. Could have could have had more goals. Could have been a little less stressful, but in the end, the points are in the bank. And uh, let's go around the league real quickly. Here for this round two, it got started on Friday, August the 18th in Rio Mayor in what was probably a record for that facility. This is basically a remodel. It's not even remodeled. It's fairly new, but it is a repurposed training facility, and it is the home for Casapia this season. Casapia won Sporting 2. Again, Sporting win late. It was a goal. Sorry, it was not. Yes, it was in the 61st, not late. That was the first week. I'm, I'm confusing Spartans. First week uh, victory. This one, they get on the board early. Paulinho scores on an assist from Ishgayu in the third. Clayton levels for Casapia in the 58th. And then Paulinho doubles it and puts himself atop of the golden boot race here after two rounds. Uh, the, that assist went to Nusanch in the 61st. Spartan hold on to win. Of course, this was a goal that was offside. Um, you've probably seen the freeze frame by now. I understand the referee missing it. There's no excuse for the VAR missing it. It's very clear offside. Uh, but Spartan get three point, two extra points as a result. Um, this one was played in front of 6,981. Again, that has to be a record at Rio Maior. We move to Saturday. Vitória Guimarães holding, hosting, excuse me, Gil Vicente and another of many Minho derbies. This one played at the Stadio Dom Afonso Henrique in front of 15,127, a number that on the surface sounds good, but that is only 50% of uh, Vitoria's you know, capacity in the in the stadium, in the Afonso Henrique Stadium. Um, this one finished 2-1 to one in favor of the Vitorianos, and uh, they, they stay perfect on the season now with two victories from two matches in the league at least. And this match was managed by their interim manager. Uh, and I believe this is the only match he was going to manage. João Arrozu. Uh, he, was the, he was the assistant for for uh, for Moreno. And uh, he managed this one. I believe they have another manager coming in. Uh, staying up north, Shavj hosting Braga at the Municipal Stadium in Shavj. And uh, the... The Manuel Branco Teixeira Memorial uh, Municipal Stadium in front of 5,443. And it is the visitors, Braga, getting back on track in the league. Goals from Bruma, Ricardo Horta, Banza, and Pizzi, our former uh, player, our, our friend Pizzi, getting on the score sheet. This one finishes 4 2 in favor of Braga. Hector Hernandez of Chaves gets a double for himself, scoring twice. Benfica, as we know, 2 0 winners over Strela. And in Algarve, Boa Vista continues their very good early season form. They travel to Algarve and win 4-1 to in front of a crowd of 2,034. And um, Boa Vista put themselves top of the table after two rounds. Uh, if you want to see the table, go over to www.mrbenfica.com. I have posted it there. Sunday's matches, Istoril win 2-0 at home over Rio Ave. This one at the 
Antonio Coimbra Mota Stadium in front of 2,359. Porto hosting Farens, and Tony Martinez gets on the board early. Uh, you get an equalizer from Rui Costa in the 45th plus one to send it to halftime 1-1. And again, I was driving, okay? I was driving back. No, I was driving to Columbus on, on this one. I was on my way to the match. And I was telling my son at a rest stop that Porto were 1-1 in stoppage time. And I said, I'm not going to check it. But when we get to the stadium or when we get to our hotel, I'm not sure if we were getting to our second hotel. I said, I will check and they will have won 2-1. And my, my son said, Daddy, don't think like that. We get there, and yes, in the 90th plus 10, I was confusing Sporting for Porto this week. In the 90th plus 10, Ivan Marcano's header uh, gives Porto the three points and keeps them perfect on the league season. Disappointing for all of us, of course. Uh, that one at the Stadio do Dragão in front of 48,129. Vizela hosting Aroca. This one at the Stadio do Vizela in Caldas de Vizela. And this one in front of 2,620 finishes 2-2 as uh, the two northern sides finish level. On Monday, the round closed out with another Minu Derby, this one in Villanova, the Family Count, and hot off their win against Moreirense. Family Count cannot keep the momentum going. After I went on Nino Nino's Instagram Live and, and said that I was tipping them for big things this year after that win over Braga. They can't keep it going as they draw nil-nil against their neighbors, Moreres. In front of 4,640, which is a nearly full crowd, if not full, for their stadium in the twenty, sorry, in the 22nd of June Municipal Stadium in Villanova de Famalicão. All right, so the table after two rounds, like I said, Boavista leads with six points thanks to their goal difference of plus four. Uh, also on six points, Sporting, Porto, and Vitoria Guimarães. Fifth right now belongs to Roca with four points. Family Count sixth with four points, both of them at plus one. Goal difference, Gil Vicente right now. Our next opponents are in seventh with three points. They lead all the teams with three points thanks to their large victory in round one. Their plus four goal difference right now puts them in seventh. Casapia eighth. With a plus two goal difference. And then Braga, Istoril, Benfica. All on plus one goal difference. In places nine through eleven. Chihuahua, twelfth with three points as well. in a zero goal difference. And then with one point you have two more menu sides. You have Vizela and you have Moreirense. One point each. Strela, Chaves, Farense and Portimonense. All on zero points. The two Algarvian sides already at the bottom of the table. Uh, the league leaders for now in goal in scoring. Uh, the Golden Boot Race, as it stands after two rounds, two players have three goals. That's Paulinho of Sporting and Robert Bosnick of uh, of Boa Vista. And then with two goals, a slew of players. You have about ten players with two goals. So here they are: Alejandro Marques of uh, of Istoril, Antoni Martinez of Porto, Clayton of. Casapia, Cristo Gonzalez of Aroca, Hector Hernandez of Chaves, Rafa Mujica of Aroca, Rafa, our Rafa 
uh, with two as well. Ricardo Horta also with two. Samuel Ascende of Vizela. Victor Gorkis of Sporting in Kenya. Fujimoto, who we will be seeing this Saturday, of Gilles Vicente. And then you've got about, uh, about 30 players right now with one goal each. All right, round three. Here's the fixture list before we sign off for the week. Uh, the round gets started on Friday, so by the time you hear this, some of you may have already missed this match. But on Friday afternoon, or evening in Portugal, 8.15 Portuguese Standard Time, Estrela hosting Estoril, and this match is slated to play at the Estadio João Gomes at the Rebuleira in Amadora. And then Saturday, the early one, a 3.30 Portuguese uh, kickoff time, 10.30 here on the east coast of the United States, Roca hosting Portimonense. At 1 p.m. Uh, my time, 6 p.m. Portuguese time. Farense hosting Chaves, and then in the nightcap Saturday, 8.30 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time. In Barcelos, it is Gil Vicente hosting Benfica. Sunday, Boa Vista, 3.30 p.m. hosting Casapia, 3.30 p.m. Portuguese time, of course. Then 6 p.m. Portuguese time, another menu derby. It is Vitoria this time at home hosting Vizela. And then in the nightcap, uh, 8.30 p.m. Portuguese time at José Valad. It is Sporting hosting Famalicão. Probably one of the matches to watch. No, not probably. Definitely one of the matches to watch this weekend. On Monday, it will conclude with Riuav hosting Porto. That one will kick off at 8.15 Portuguese Standard Time. All right, that is it for this episode of Mr. Benfica. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, thank you, everybody, for all the positive feedback on last week's episode. I've got a lot of feedback. Uh, the episode did really well, better than, than most. I hope that is a sign for things to come this season. And I hope that uh, hope that Benfica continue to give us, you know, g- good matches to talk about. I hope, you know, the noise around the club from the outside, I hope it, it settles down. And I hope if you could just play some good football and start shutting them up, to be honest with you. Uh, programming note coming your way. Uh, tomorrow, the plan is to record Liga 3 English and recap round three in the Portuguese third division as they head into round four this weekend. And then I hope to be back with you earlier next week, maybe as early as Monday, recapping the match against Gil Vicente, uh, which takes place, as we said, Saturday, 8.30 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time. It's 3.30 p.m. here on the East Coast of the United States. 12.30 p.m. Pacific. That one here on the United States is on Goal TV. And uh, check your listings where you where you live to see where you can see that. Of course, if you're in one of the dark countries, uh, search the interwebs. I'm sure you will find a stream somewhere on the Internet for that match. Um, I hope everyone enjoys the match. And I hope if you could come out flying and make a statement here on the road this week. As I'm sure we are going to see the debut, the regular season debut at least, of the Black Kits. Um, looking forward to it. In fact, I just ordered one today for myself. So I'm looking forward to it coming in. And um, that's really it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Again, tr- follow me on Twitter if you're not already. At Mike Agustinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And follow the show at Benfica Mister. And if you want to, you can also follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. Or on Instagram at Benfica Mister. And uh, check out the website www.mrbenfica.com. 
I'm going to try to put some more stuff up there. Like I said, the, the table is up to date there. And every click helps. So if you can just click on it, I'd really appreciate that. But I am going to be working to get some more content out there. Um, I'm not sure exactly what, but I do want to have a regular uh, written piece coming out. Either every two weeks or even monthly if, if that's all I can do. But I do want to get some some activity going on on the website. All right. Thank you again. I will catch you next time. Enjoy your weekend. That's it. Kachega Benfica. Forza Benfica. We are Benfica. Damu 39. Let's go. See you next week. Good night, everybody.